Welcome to Roleplaying as Smart People. My name is Santa, and welcome to a little series I like to call One on One with, with Santa. Santa. Yeah. Did that sound corny? I don't care. I, <laughs> it kind of feels like you maybe should have had jingle bells along with it, and oh. I'm very much here for it if, you, if you're adding that in in post. Oh, I am totally adding it in. Uh, by the way, everyone, uh, this is Charlie, uh, the lead writer of Shiver. Uh, hello, Charlie. Hello, thanks for having me on. Oh no, it's a pleasure. Um, I shouldn't... Okay, this is going to sound dumb. I, I conferred with the wifey, and she said this is dumb. But I thought this would be hilarious, since this is the first one of one-on-one with Santa. How funny would it be if every single guest I have on from this point, if they sing the jingle too, and I just keep on adding one after another after another, all into the same jingle at the very beginning. So, 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 so adding a new line every time? No, no, but a- adding in a new voice. Adding in a new voice. Oh, so, yeah, no, it's, yeah. So eventually it just becomes this one big cluster of voices all saying the same thing like a chorus. Oh, fantastic. I mean, that, that's a, a unique way to assemble a choir for a podcast, but I'm very much here for it. <laughs> you want to do the one-on-one with Santa? So, 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 so just remind me of the tune again. So it's One-on-one with Santa. Okay, got it. Okay. Ready? Yep. One-on-one with Santa. Yeah. Okay, that'll be awesome. Thank you very much for, um, yeah, for <laughs> this has already gone off ra- off no, the rails. No worries. I, I'm I'm very I'm very game for <laughs> audio experimentation. So so oh. do do not worry. <laughs> Excellent. What I'll do is I'll take that and I'll put that in with the intro right off the hop. It'll be great. Um, but anyways, uh, Charlie, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your tabletop history? How did you even get started in this hobby? Sure. So I'm I'm Charlie Menzies. I'm the lead uh, designer and writer for Shiver. Um, I got started in role playing when I was at university. So um, I have a film and TV background originally um, in production, and I went uh, to be a screenwriter. Uh, is is where is where I started. Um, but I met a lot of fellow uh, pop culture uh, rabid nerds um, when I was at university who um, love telling stories together, various actors and writers and performers. Um, and one day, a housemate of mine managed to get their hands on kind of a, a copy of like 5e, and we just started playing D&D together, as most people's intro point is now. Mm-hmm. And we got really into it, and it got very goofy very quickly um, and was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, like from, from that point onwards... Um, I'd kind of always been into role-playing games, but um, I got more onto the Game Master side after I graduated. And even though we're a small country, kind of my friends all got scattered to the four winds. We all kind of started working in different cities, uh, different places, being on different sets. And I, funnily enough, I won a writing competition, which gave me enough money to actually uh, get get all the stuff I needed to kind of start uh, running games myself. Um, oh, awesome. so, set, so set up an online group and started running games for my friends and then from there it was um playing different systems and noticing what players were struggling with and then i started to develop shiver off the back of that uh was was where that came from was just playing with my friends and making tweaks and slowly building my own thing in the background just to find a fun and unique way to tell stories 
that were based on films that we all all loved and shared from our uh, kind of university experience. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar with Shiver, how would you kind of sum it up? So I say Shiver is a horror role-playing game that allows you to play any horror movie, uh, piece of horror pop culture, books, TV shows, comics, any setting, any character, anytime, anywhere, um, you can use the core system to tell that story. So you can be medieval peasants fighting a demon boar with spoons, um, like one minute, or you could be kids on bikes, go very stranger things, um, or you could be shooting off into space as like a Ripley-style character um, and punching his animorph uh, with a dock loader the, the next. It's, it's very much a love letter to the horror genre that allows you to bring anything that you want uh to the table uh with that horror flair to it oh that's 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 really cool um so out of curiosity what when you were like because you said you're designing this after like over a period of time was there like a specific movie that you're like i need to create this one like i need to have this on the tabletop like was there anything that was almost like that big inspiration for that that's really interesting. I think it was a collection of things because I found myself um, with using 5e, like kind of trying to pepper in certain films that I loved. So mm-hmm. like kind of putting Jason Voorhees in a swamp, uh, for example, and having them stalk a bunch of fantasy characters um, and kind of changing up the lore a little bit and having fun with that, as well as just um, I think the main thing that I wanted to do was to capture the energy I feel when watching a horror film like in a packed cinema, uh, but putting that on a tabletop. So it wasn't like a specific film in particular, but I was really struggling with um, with D&D as a core system, I would say, to replicate that feeling because of the power fantasy element of it uh, mm-hmm. was, was really difficult to, how do I make something that feels scary, but doesn't, um, that doesn't kind of get... Uh, muted a little bit by how powerful the players are and how yeah. they interact with it and and 5e it tends to turn it's 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 a little bit of a jokey system like there's that meme that kind of floats around where it's like how every game starts off and it's like all these grizzled warriors and then it flips to how it is after two sessions and it's monty python like <laughs> it, it just does I, I i get what you mean it just doesn't really put itself into a good light when it comes to the more kind of hardcore or serious kind of settings. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one, but I think for me just to clarify like I am I am no uh grouch at the table with kind of like when it comes to humor. I love mm. jokes and humor at the table. But um and and I think honestly like particularly with horror levity and laughter is so important to balance out the more intense moments. But I think yes. you're 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 completely right of that. Um, there's this build up of kind of humor. I think that it kind of emerges with D and D games, but also it's I think more like at its mechanical core, it's basically you're building from zero to level twenty is like an ascension to godhood, which yeah. ultimately isn't what a horror story is about. Like that's if you think about your like a core character objective, like if you're thinking of horror stories, the kind of big embold at the top of a character's uh motivation is survive in big red caps um like stay the 
f alive like it's just is like don't die um <laughs> which, which is like like i think like like level one to three of D captures that really really well so i remember oh, yeah. like playing like a level one D adventure and some goblins turn up and we think oh these are just a bunch of shit tier enemies we're gonna <laughs> kick the crap out of them like it's gonna it's gonna be absolutely fine right and then smash cut to like you know the bars bleeding out on the floor like the halflings up a tree crying um and like the goblins are just taking everybody's to town so i think it, it's kind of thing like for me it's almost if you want to like kind of do a successful uh horror story um depowering your players ultimately enhances the experience a lot more oh yeah um and that was like kind of like a big guiding tenant for designing shiver not like depowering but kind of how do you bake into the mechanics this idea of survival and kind of your kind of like base level of squishiness and humanity uh to make characters feel fundamentally mortal because if you feel mortal you feel in danger of dying whilst mm-hmm. i think in D, there is i think uh, especially the preciousness around kind of characters not wanting them to die or let them go but also the this ascension to kind of godhood element means that you're, you're inherently stepping kind of on the immortal boundary um a little bit there which which again i think i think this kind of like takes the sting out of a lot of horror when you know death may not be kind of on the cards as readily as it should be in that scenario oh no i definitely agree with you on that one like when i think of horror movies i think of that suspense the anticipation the worry that you know around any corner like there could be like a jump scare or you're just going to see just the edge of something where if you were not watching this movie, you would like, if you were just like casually watching the movie, you might not notice. And you know, for a fact that the players themselves or, you know, the actors in the movies, their characters don't necessarily see that. And I think I, I read through your system and uh, I thought it was very interesting, but um a little bit more on that later because i do have some questions about your system but um i noticed you right now you have actually a double feature uh that currently is being funded on game found uh would you tell us a little bit about that because some of those modules i was very very interested in absolutely so shiver double feature is our um, attempt with this kind of like new expansion project for Shiver to start exploring the different ends of the horror bell curve, as I tend to call it. Mm-hmm. So first up, you've got Shiver Slasher. So Shiver Slasher is like the biggest subgenre in horror, or one of, I would say. Yep. Um, I've often said that horror is a broad church when it comes to being a genre, but in the sense of it being a broad church, slashes are pretty much Catholicism. It's a large chunk um, of horror. It's a big um, kind of area to explore. Um, but it also kind of falls definitely more on the extreme end in terms of like blood, gore, violence, scares, jump scares, all of that. It's um, very much, it, quintess- it ticks very much the quintessential boxes that you imagine kind of when going to a cinema to watch a horror movie and mm. have kind of popcorn being thrown everywhere as people jump in fright. Um, and that is a great experience. If you are a big horror fan, I think sl- like slasher films quite often epitomize um, those experiences. So okay. that's kind of one end of, of of the expansion of that we're looking at. But um, in terms of thinking of it as a double feature, of we wanted to partner it with something that was exploring horror, but through a very different lens of looking at um, people who may be unsure of horror, who want to dip their toes in, but are 
have maybe kind of preconceived notions of the genre or they want to play with younger players. Uh, they want something that's kind of a bit friendlier, a bit more on the side of peril than it is on of terror. Yeah. Um, and that's where Blockbuster comes in. It's um, exploring uh, kind of stories which I've termed like Spielbergian tales of terror. Terror um, is 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 how I tend to frame them. Of that, when we were writing them, and I was working with our new writer Adam, who's been doing the story content for both books uh, alongside me, um, is that we set out because obviously our back our background for both of us because we trained together at university was screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, we were trained to know what uh elements you can and can't have for when you're doing a film classification so for example like in the us it'd be pg-13 over here it's a 12a and that was the line that we drew of um being like enough okay if we were writing this as a movie what elements would we keep in what elements would we keep out so that you could have a slightly younger audience and it'd be a bit more kind of friendly still keeping those elements of tension those elements of horror that are there but just bringing the intensity of it down um so these are kind of exploring things that are quite a lot of it actually that were like very um inspiring for me uh well conversations between me and my brother um who works as kind of editor and developer on the project mm-hmm. um of films that scared us when we were kids uh which we we found was actually a very good metric uh for figuring out blockbuster um so we talked at length about uh jurassic park so like the first time we watched that when we were kids um, was like the Raptors are some of the best horror villains um, in cinema in cinema history, but they're I, not considered horror characters. Um, I would agree it, with yeah. you a hundred percent. Sorry to cut you off there, yeah. but like as a kid, my favorite movie of all time was Jurassic Park, and I totally know what you mean because that scene in the kitchen with the velociraptors and the two kids and how they're just pretty much like it's that cat and mouse game oh yeah one of my favorite it's just pure perfect horror tension of like the creatures are they're menacing they're large they're intelligent that is the biggest thing with the raptors is that Mm -hmm. it's looking at something that you know you think it's oh it's just a big lizard but it's actually fiercely intelligent like kind of near to a human level and you know them being able to use handles and all of those wonderful moments really i mean like the t-rex is the one that gets a lot of love but for me it's the velociraptors was always where it was at i mean Mm. i mean the thing i think people forget about that is samuel jackson gets killed and they just find his arms like (laughs) in that movie like um because i think it's because when we were kids like we watched it um, this, we used to tape stuff on VHS. We were not a, a wealthy family growing up. Um, so we used to tape, tape stuff off of TV. And in the TV edit, that bit was cut out. So then we watched it a little bit later. Like we, we, we got a, a proper, vi- not like a non bootlegged VHS of it. Um, and, and all of a sudden, Samuel Jackson's seven arms were in it. And we were like, what is this movie? Like, where'd this come from? We had no idea that that, that, that was in there. Um, which is just really fascinating. And, um, uh, to kind of stay on the Spielbo train a little bit more, like Jaws was another one. Our mum probably showed us that a little too young, mm-hmm. um, I would say. And I, like, you know, struggled swimming in a pool for months after. Like, I was obsessed that a, a shark was going to somehow get for a vent um, coming out of, you know, the cold ocean waters around the British Isles somehow and get into, <laughs> and get into a public pool. Stupid. It was completely irrational. But it's the, the effect that that film had was very, very profound. But, um, I must say though, not not bagging on my mum at all. Absolutely love her to bits, and I do credit her with probably 
seeding that love of horror movies in me, like kind of from a young age, because she would always show us stuff and like test our boundaries as kids, like with what we were seeing, um, mm-hmm. and to kind of like see where we were at as we were growing up. And I think that's a really healthy way of doing it rather than obscuring all horror from people until you're like 18. I think that's, yeah. that's a very odd way of doing it. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, so it's all of those movies, and there's like um, it's specific mo- moments and memories that I think everyone kind of has, like you know, the scarabs under the skin and the Brendan Fraser mummy film, for example. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's one that popped up. Um, like even even the ghost pirates from um, Pirates of the Caribbean. The first mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean has so much horror in it, but I think people really forget about it because of how like big CGI swashbuckling it it kind of became. But the first one's actually quite measured back on that front. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it's ex- examining those elements where kind of big bombastic action as well as spooky unnatural elements that kind of bring elements of peril, bring elements of terror in, really um, quintessentially just, just summarizes what Blockbuster is. And that's kind of what we're going for uh, with that expansion. That 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 honestly sounds really cool um because i i was looking at a few of them um unfortunately i'm currently broke or else i would have totally picked up picked them up uh (laughs) but i was looking at the blockbuster one i was like oh that's such a neat idea because there is so many and i agree a lot of people don't realize how many movies have elements of horror in them that really kind of just like help them go and i'm assuming kind of since uh, the blockbuster one is more rated towards, you know, at age of 12 up, I'm assuming the slasher one is more of um, the adult one, I'm assuming, or the yeah, higher rating. I, I'd, I'd say there's maybe one or two stories in the slasher book where it kind of comes in maybe more like, you know, like a 15, 16. Um, yeah. Because uh, obviously we, we have the kind of, diff- we have 15 and 18 in our um, film classifications mm-hmm. um, in terms of how they split. Um, but so yeah, mo- most of them are kind of like looking at 18 or like R rated, I would say in terms of where they're looking. Cause we, um, in the books, we put like a film style classification in there to like guide people, oh, um, funny. as to like kind of what, you know, what potential triggers there may be in there as well. Because the thing always with like horror, like safety tools in as a side tangent, safety tools and horror are super duper important. Like I feel like when you're playing RPGs, cause ultimately there's a line in the core book that I have where, and I use it every time I run a game we're here to play a horror game and have fun. We're not here to be horrible to one another. And you have to be very, you have to be careful um, because obviously like when you're treading that line of exploring something that triggers fear um, yeah. in people of kind of finding like what those lines are and making sure that they're kind of protected and respected in kind of the best possible way. Um, but yeah, no, um, so, so it's, but we are going to be putting kind of tips and tricks in there of like, if you want to bring the age rating down, so say you've got like a 15, 16 year old who wants to, kind of play at the table then you know just bringing some of those elements down or like how do you like you know cut away from gore or imply stuff you know very very much like how the best horror movies do is that um for me i've always been a fan of the camera cutting away and us hearing uh, a terrible noise of somebody being slaughtered than actually seeing the slaughter itself and a person i think that's scarier um mm-hmm. but it's also in many ways more palatable to me personally but but yeah, I think that's an interesting way to kind of approach it. And I, I, I kind of agree with you with that. I find a lot of the time, like, because I forget who said it, but it was, um, I heard this quote once where essentially um, 
the audience can think of more horrible situations than you ever could. And so feed into that. Um, and I think that that is a bright way. And in fact, I feel like more modern movies have kind of lost that almost like that feeling of we can trust the audience to think of something horrible. We don't necessarily mm. need to show it and give really that same effect. Like, I don't know. I, I, I love, we were talking about this right before, but how we're both kind of a huge fan of the eighties movies and they made those movies nice and scary, everything like that without always the CGI. And I feel like if I was to run a game with your system and to be honest, I'm kind of thinking about doing that on Halloween with a couple of friends of mine. Um, uh, <clears throat> I would take inspiration from like the eighties movies. Like I, I, I would want to take like uh, the original, well, this one, isn't it? This is a seventies movie. Um, but I would like to do the original black Christmas and kind of do a twist on that. I feel like it would be a lot of fun. Yes. I Christmas set horror is a big favorite <laughs> of mine. I, I also love black Christmas. Black Christmas is so, um, I know it's not for everybody. Uh, no. It is a film that I would describe as fantastically bleak. Um, it really has that edge of um 70s cinema overall has this edge of nihilism to it but Mm -hmm. black christmas i think doesn't get talked about enough and kind of taking the biscuit of just how nihilistic that film is um but but in the most best and possible way in a really interesting way and using that kind of setting of christmas as a interesting offset to the raw kind of like brutal horror of like what's actually going on Um, and i i love that juxtaposition with with christmas um of placing horrifying things in the holiday season i think is a a a great staple um that should keep on going yeah and the i liked it with the ending with that one because a lot of a lot of movies uh and this is just kind of like pretty normal but they like to leave it at an ending well that one kind of left it all up where there's still so many unanswered questions that just kind of almost made the killer even more um creepy because you didn't know why he did it he's still out there still all these answers but nobody really knows and i find that so cool but yeah it's it's why i really jive with a lot of uh john carpenter's stuff especially the first halloween um, oh yeah and i think it's something that like with the david gordon green ones they managed to explore a bit in the first one but then the others spiraled off but i won't I won't dig that too much because i know uh there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy and infighting around the david gordon green halloween so i should probably not poke that uh <laughs> but anyway but the john comes to halloween let's focus on that one um this idea of this unknowable just m- marching evil that can't be stopped yeah of like, this of expiration of just like trying to constantly throughout the film like they're trying to like explain michael figure out like why he's doing what he's doing and then the only person who really knows is his psychologist the trained medical doctor who's running around with a magnum revolver being like no he's not crazy he's the embodiment of pure evil he has to be killed (laughs) which to me is just like you know it's you know where you know the trained doctor has basically gone off the rails and is spouting stuff that most people would be is crazy but as you go through the film you kind of Understand. even though his methods are extreme you come around to loomis's side of thinking like and it is just that element i think it is an element of that not everything in horror your people's motivations always needs to be explained yeah. and i think some, sometimes it is almost like this um unknowable evil that is that is just an evil 
um, can be very, very scary. And there's also an element of um, of kind of almost like something that is just behaving kind of through animalistic instinct um, and slaughtering things because it know it that's all it knows. Yeah. As well, it, is that there is a not everything has to have kind of deep character rooted motivation when it comes to the antagonist side, um, because you can kind of start looking at interesting comparisons and elements by just exploring this idea of like what if an element of pure evil did exist like how does that affect people or if something is kind of rampaging down through kind of midtown and killing people it it, it just that is just completely wild and abandoned they can't explain it because i think that's that's the thing that terrifies a lot of people is not being able to understand something or explain it away it is just a terrible horrible thing that exists Mm -hmm. um that has no core reasoning behind it and that i think is more terrifying in itself oh no doubt so back back to the rpg for a little bit because Mm. when i was reading the rpg i i saw maybe some inspiration from other systems did you actually have any inspiration from other systems that you drew into uh the game um so when when i first started designing shiver my experience with other rpgs was relatively limited like 5e was my main one i played a bit of call of cthulhu mm-hmm. um uh, but then some also some board games uh, definitely came in there so there's the um there's elder sign and a few other games and then i i, I haven't i hadn't played it um i still haven't had a chance to play it, i don't think uh, but with uh blaze in the dark of, oh, yeah. um, talking about clock mechanics um but really elder sign uh one of the i think in the arkham horror series of board games where basically you have a clock that ticks up and then at the end of the clock um the eldritch like horror turns up and you have to fight it and i really and when i was playing i used to play that board game with my friends i found it very very fun um but then that kind of evolved into the uh doom clock and then when I kind of was playing around with that, like researching other clock mechanics and games and came across Blaze in the Dark and seeing the quarters, um, but then wanted to tie that in more to the dice mechanic more intrinsically mm-hmm. um, uh, with the strange symbols and failure generating doom. Um, and very much the thing that kind of the unique element that was coming to Shiver with that was taking that um, filmic style of pace and structure and basically yep. taking like big tentpole moments from the free act structure of looking at lots of horror movies and seeing how do you apply that to a clock? How do you teach people to apply that to a clock mechanic? Um, so yeah, so there's definitely like kind of lots of little bits that kind of fed into certain mechanics. The, the Doom Clock is just one that stands out in terms of like how I kind of had an idea for it and then started researching it and then uh, uh, other, other systems and then it kind of blossomed a bit more um, as I kind of found more what shivers core element was which was replicating a horror movie on the tabletop and really yeah. kind of focusing that in so yeah um in in terms of that like i like symbolic dice were there always from the start um but in terms of inspiration from this for the system i hadn't really played anything with symbolic dice when we started designing um but then kind of after the initial book was released then i started playing games like um escape the dark castle um has some certain elements that um i think have some similarity that i really really like um when we did we did the first release a lot of people mentioned um uh what is it uh it's the star wars edge of empire game genesis which Gen- the genesis yeah Gen- genesis so that system which i'd not played so i had a look at it um 
was it was a thing because because a lot of people are that this is a question that's come up before of like were you inspired by that system and it's one i i not encountered um when 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 i came when i came up with the idea for it and when i looked at it it was um because i thought i find it very interesting as a system but i think the the place where shiver really differs is that i really wanted the symbols on the dice to very firmly mean something to people at like an intrinsic level yeah like so if you're rolling grit and you see a fist you know that's you know your strength your fortitude your physical might um whilst with um the like edge of empire system some of the symbols to me like when i started looking into that when a lot of people were mentioning it when we first started kind of uh talking about the system and marketing it for the first kickstarter um the 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 symbols for me personally didn't really evoke um something as strong like some kind of base understanding of like you know like for us we have like smarts where you see like a brain and a light bulb and you know that's kind of like intelligence it's coming up with ideas and investigating Mm -hmm. stuff so so it's 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 that kind of element of that it's it's yeah i think it's a lot of people see certain things in there and it's almost stuff that i've discovered through (laughs) designing it um but but there are but there are elements definitely in there that did form um an inspiration um but yeah but i was always very set on dice pools as well because i just enjoy rolling lots of dice Um, yeah i would agree with that (laughs) and and and, and again and again that came more from funny enough that came more from my experience with board games it did uh rpgs Mm -hmm. Uh, because i'm so used to D &D of like rolling one dice and rolling another dice and rolling another dice um kind of like rolling it in an order Whilst yeah. like I I love um, when it's like you just gather up a big handful of dice for at the table and you you kind of see you kind of meter out like what your success is. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of doing the bright coloured symbols was a big part of that to make it very quickly evocative of what what has happened uh, when you rolled. No, that's uh, that's awesome. I'm not gonna lie. When I was first reading your system, I, I was like, "Huh, I'm, I'm wondering if you got anything from um, from Genesis." But yeah, that that's really neat that you actually kind of um, took inspiration from board games and also just your own experience in designing it that it really came to to light. Um, one question that kind of popped to my mind was. Um, were you worried about using custom dice? Cause I know there's, there's a group of people out there who don't necessarily like buying specialized dices for specialized games. Were you worried about that at all? So initially no, but then when we started marketing stuff, definitely uh, is what <laughs> I would say, because it's something I, so, so at that point, like kind of obviously so Shiver's the first game I've ever designed. So I kind of, when we kind of came into it, like I was very fresh faced and new within the industry, and I did not know how uh, how much controversy there was around proprietary dice. I just yeah. thought they were cool and helped tell a story in a fun way. Was and that's always what they've been meant to me for Shiver. Um, yeah. And yeah, there were a lot of people, and, and and this is where the Star Wars Edge of Empire stuff reared its head because there were a lot of people who got very angry about that, and I think it was something to do with like something to do with a release um where there were only physical dice and there wasn't a dice rolling app and like you had to pay for dice rolling app and and there was a load of stuff and people were kind of talking about that and it was Mm -hmm. definitely something very much that we heard um and that's that's instantly why we created a free dice roller um when we released the game um that that you can find on our website it loads on a phone it loads on a computer it's absolutely free 
Um, you can remember your kind of elements of your character as well. Um, if you're playing across multiple sessions, you'd have to note stuff down. Um, because ultimately, we don't want people to ever feel like they have to buy the dice because we, you know, because it's a money spinning scheme. Yeah. We generally want people to use the dice system as the way it was designed because we feel it enhances the story it enhances the experience on the tabletop and that's always what it's about so that's why we made a free dice roller because we're very much committed to we want people to play the system in that way to kind of experience it and see what we were going for um, and are are going for so so yeah and that will just forever be free and definitely has a v2 coming up of us because we make patch notes and stuff all the time of like people giving us feedback on the dice roller so we're going to keep updating that and keep that supported um as we keep making more ship stuff oh that's that, that that's honestly really smart because i know there's a few games out there that i even myself have been interested in and i'm just like i would love to play this but i don't want to go pick up dice for this one singular game and that is a really smart move. I really like the fact that you just were like, no, we created a dice roller. Here you go. That's honestly awesome. And as dumb as it sounds, as someone who is, you know, consumer of RPGs, if I saw that there was a free dice roller, I'd honestly be more incentivized to say, okay, I am buying the dice himself now. Because for one, your dice look pretty damn cool. And two, I can tell it's not, as you said, it's not just a, it's not a Ponzi scheme where you're just trying to get more and more money out of anyone. So yeah, no, that's, that's honestly amazing. I I love that. Um, So I was kind of wondering when you were creating the game, was there any like challenges that you faced where you honestly almost thought, I don't know how to get past this? Oh, oh no, I've got a good example of this one. Combat. <laughs> right. So so honestly, combat in RPGs is extremely difficult to get mm-hmm. right, I feel. And for us, we had the, the design element we kept butting up against is we playtested combat over and over and over and over with different iterations on things of like kind of simplifying the action economy so it's just move, attack, interact. So you only have those three elements that you do and that's it. Um, like uh, we had the discussions about it. So I, I very much fought for making damage fixed to reduce rolling and obviously, you know, keeping things fully on the symbolic dice. Yeah. So you're not having to do any additional mathematical calculations. Um, but the one thing we ran into like right near the end uh, as we were kind of approaching the Kickstarter is we just felt that combat wasn't scary enough. And we were trying to figure out how to do it and then we sat down of being like kind of like well we want there to be an inherent risk when you're entering combat and you're attacking something so it's kind of what if the creatures every time you hit them there's a chance that they do something we're like yeah that's a good idea that's like what if they react to what the players are doing and different enemies react in different ways and from there we came up with the react system of um, creating react tables um, so in the core book, you have like bruiser enemies, agile enemies, intelligent enemies, and super scary enemies that can, every time they're hit, they have a chance to react. Um, and it's as simple as you just roll one of our um, uh, symboled D6s. Mm-hmm. And depending on how reactive they are and the symbol that it lands on, there's a chance that they can react. And if they, the more dangerous the creature, the more reactions they have that are loaded onto the dice. 
Oh, um, cool. so the ch- so the chance of them reacting is much much higher so there is an intense risk reward of you hit the creature however um and it, so it, there is an element of it's caveated and learning a creature's reactions and having those obscured and not sure how an enemy is going to behave really added to the tension of people almost now, like now with players like as soon as that came in and we started playtesting it and somebody hit them and then the picture picked them up and threw them out of a window um they were they were like oh oh this this feels completely different so then you know they'd start using range attacks or picking up like long branches and prodding the creature like like trying to figure out like kind of how it behaved um as a way so, so there's almost like a it, it it really creates that horror element of like if a monster turns up we you don't want the the kind of classic kind of more like fancy rpg thing of everyone gets baseball bats and runs towards it and just starts hitting it with sticks it's um because if everyone runs towards it and starts hitting with sticks they'll do a bit of damage for sure but all of those hits and then being really really close is potentially going to trigger a reaction um that could just wipe them all out knock them all on the ground render that you know cause it to like let out an ear piercing howl and make them all terrified um, there's there's a huge variety of stuff that can happen and it completely changes the player psychology in terms of how you approach enemies when every time you hit something there's a chance that something bad is going to happen to you um, rather than it's a, just a, a complete feel good yes I hit the creature, I've dealt damage hooray for me it's kind of like now you have the element of I've hit something I've done damage, hooray for me maybe we'll survive this and then it is just you just hear the clack of a dice rolling behind the screen and then suddenly you're getting slashed with a machete um, for your heroics so it's yeah it's definitely trying to replicate that horror movie feel so I think that was the biggest challenge and that was quite a late in the game like like cycle of development that the react system emerged and as soon as we landed on it though we were like how did we not have this from the very start but that's the view of game design of like just testing and testing and testing trying stuff out and always being very in tune with the feel of what you want to do um with what you want to achieve at the table and for us it was making enemies scary that i was just that 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 that's actually really interesting like it, that wasn't like uh, immediately apparent to me just from reading it, but now that you mention it, like that—that's a really good kind of like ploy to, for it even to promote the movie aspect because nobody ever knows exactly what the monster is capable of. They discover it through trial and error, and what you're actually promoting with the with the dice and especially with. Um, with the enemy being able to do all these actions is you're almost promoting a way of uh, learning and exploring to understand what exactly it's capable of. That's, that's really cool. Like it's very unique. I don't think I've ever actually heard an RPG with that kind of mechanic in it. I I think that that's basically what we landed on of, of, of like, as soon as we came up with it, we started looking around and we didn't really find anything that had the same feel like in terms of, of reaction. So and um, we were just very, I would say not smug, but like very happy with it because it was, <laughs> it was sudden, suddenly combat just sung the way that we wanted it to. You can be um, a little so smug. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, but it's, yeah, no, I, I think that's always the, like the kind of like challenge. That's the biggest challenge in game design. I feel though, because it's the most nebulous is understanding game feel, which is a term of, of just kind of like how your game feels to the players that you're putting 
um, in front of it. Um, and I think it's like, yeah, always being in tune with what you want to actually achieve and kind of getting back down to basics. And for us being a horror game, it was always, how do we make this more terrifying? How do we get people to not treat combat like, you know, combat for, you know, D&D or Pathfinder or, you know, any any other kind of more combat heavy system? Um, mm-hmm. Because because that's always the risk is that because because quite really, we we're just very, very aware that most people who are probably going to be picking up Shiver um, from from the initial steps, uh, definitely, we're probably going to be D and D players or people who have played other RPGs that were probably in a more fantasy setting, mm-hmm. where the feel of combat is you're more equal with your enemies, you're working together, and you're going to be victorious. In Shiver, we wanted it to feel like it's dicey getting into combat, um, and you potentially might need to hide and run away. Um, it's a bit, it's a big part of it, but not going the full Call of Cthulhu side of it, where combat is so deadly it's ill-advised to do it at all mm-hmm. um, after because, all the that, other main characters right yeah because 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 that's the that's the other side of the spectrum of that and i completely i'd like i love call of cthulhu just to clarify like for any cthulhu heads out there i'm not um, bashing the system at all <laughs> um because because look the the whole and that is another game that is very in tune with what it wants to do because lovecraft horrors are not built to be fought that's not their purpose uh, they drive people insane and uh, come from another world. They are basically gods, and you're running around as like a detective with a flashlight. Of course, mm. you're you know in two hits you're gonna die if you get bitten by a shog off. Like it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. But with like trying to generate something that's more cinematic horror, we we bend the rules because you're completely right. Like they are protagonists or a group of protagonists. But I think there is a particular joy of um finding character death that's thematic. Um that's also very, very fun. Which I think is is another kind of element that we really strived for with the system of kind of and we have this like kind of with a lot of players of, you know, somebody playing the Benny style character from the mummy like yeah. want, wants to get through two thirds three quarters of the game but in that big like third and final act they want to die they want <laughs> their character they want their character to have comeuppance for playing yeah. a little shit heel like they really enjoy that of um playing to those cinematic archetypes and having the same level of repercussions that you'd see in a film and sometimes death death whether it's noble sacrifice or kind of getting comeuppance and kind of getting theirs is is satisfying on both ends of the spectrum that yeah that, no that that sounds great like um i i'm just thinking of all the characters that i could play and how many characters i've played in rpgs that are as you've said shitheads and absolutely loving it and i've kind of almost at all the time hope they die at some point in some fabulous way like that you speak to a lot of different players when you talk about this game because you can have the courageous player you can have um the down-to-earth player who really just wants to create a realistic character you can really take any real trope from movies and transplant them in there uh which kind of brings me to the next question that i was um was wondering about is how much uh flexibility uh do do players have to create the character that they want. Oh, so character creation. Um, in terms of the unique combinations that you have, uh, my brother is is the one who's definitely more on the the math side. Mm-hmm. Did a calculation of of what the combinations are, and it's in 
the multiple of thousands. It's crazy um, in terms of what you can actually achieve. And the thing is that now just grows because now, um, so like with our expansion Gothic, we have whole new archetype trees. Um, in Slasher and Blockbuster, we're introducing more backgrounds that suit the subgenre even more. Um, and that all plugs into the core system uh, for building your characters. Um, and yeah, no, in, in terms of like to dig into it more, is that like you've got your seven archetypes that are broad character types that you would find in any story from history so yeah. kind of waxing philosophical a little bit more about story in general of like when you kind of start looking at like kind of monomyth theory and um storytelling across history there are certain um characters certain types of characters that do emerge very very consistently and um one of the big ports of inspiration for this was um cabin in the woods uh the film that, that i think really epitomized that really really well of that they're trying to basically replicate a horror movie that has archetypal roles to complete some form of ritual that is basically making a horror movie to appease fans mm-hmm. um but we kind of took that and ran with it in a way that would allow you to play ripley from aliens to 11 from stranger things to um you know solomon kane like any anyone who you kind of wanted to play that had a horror flavor you could achieve um so in terms of kind of how the system actually works is you pick your archetype you have a built-in strength uh, statistically uh so if you're playing a warrior you're going to be chopped up with grit um you choose a deficiency so you know you might be you know you've got all the brawn but you haven't got the brains and you like dip your smarts and then from there depending on your level you can access a series of abilities and the way that we've laid that out is as an ability tree so if you're um, more au fait with uh, like video game RPGs or those with certain elements. So like Borderlands, I like, is actually quite a good example of how they do this. Yeah. Um, it, it's like having a tree where you start at the bottom, you have elements that connect together, you spend points going up a tree, um, and you have to have the prerequisite skill below in order to proceed. And for us, we just have a little rhyme of, if you've got the ability below, you're good to go. Um, but we didn't want to... Um, so in a lot of other RPGs, the thing that I noticed was you'd basically like pick a path really really early on and you'd be set and kind of stuck on that path unless you basically did a character redesign and we didn't really want that if you wanted to turn a tell a longer story so something emerged by having going down a skill tree route with having multiple paths is there's nothing to stop you from um so using the warrior as an example so in the skill tree there are three paths um for it so you've got your fighter in the middle uh, which is kind of all about like tactically controlling the uh, battlefield, knocking people over, um, you know, slowing enemies down, um, playing around with with those elements of giving you more fighting abilities that give you uh, the tactical edge on the battlefield. Uh, to the left of that, you've got the berserker. It's your f- chock full of like rage and anger. You don't like using weapons. You like using your mitts and just punching your way for a problem um and the more damage you get the more attacks and more health um, you get as the closer to death you become and then on the right you've got protector which is more about taking lots of damage soaking it up and protecting other players so there's a skill literally called get behind me where it is you know the the jock with a heart of gold can dive in front of the skinny nerd and absorb all of their damage for example um so the thing with that is though is that like those paths are very much like playing to a certain type but and if you wanted to, you know, be the you know jock with an anger problem, you'd just go straight up the berserker. <laughs> but you just go straight with the berserker. You just go straight with the berserker path. Yeah. Um. But you know, you could be someone who's like 
very brawny, really good with your fists, but has a heart of gold and likes to protect your friends. So you could do two points in the Berserker path and then maybe do a couple of points in the Protector path. And something emerged when we were designing and then letting uh, getting playtesters to build characters is we noticed a pattern of basically like, you can either build a character tall or you can build them broad is, is how we referred to it. Mm. So you can build them specialist in one area and one kind of trope-based trait, like being angry, being tactical, being protective. Or you can design your character's abilities more broadly, um, maybe not have access to as, as powerful abilities at, at that for that for being at that level, yeah. um, but have a broader skill set to that represents the complexity of your character, um, the nuance of your character of being like you know if I want to be good with punching with my fists, I don't need to be a rage filled like monster. Um, I can have other elements to my character as well and we really wanted that to be represented in terms of how you could build a character and that flows out into the background system as well so you can pick a background um, which we themed around the archetype so we have warrior backgrounds, maverick backgrounds, scholar backgrounds but any background can be combined with any archetype so you can be the muscle bound jock who is also a nerd you know you can be the valedictorian um and still be really good at football that's fine like you can build that character because those people exist um tropes are great and tropes are fun um but we wanted to make sure there was a system where anyone and everyone could be represented and any character you come up with um realistic not realistic tropey or more grounded um could be played oh that's that's really cool um so because you said you like you are you like pretty much like your groups forever GM at this point out of curiosity, um a little bit um but but not, <laughs> not like I used to be not so much anymore um more and more of my friends and and this and this makes my heart absolutely sing is since making Shiver a lot more of my friends have um I've made them into RPG converts because like designing Shiver I really wanted to yeah. make it a beginner accessible system and some of them really were unsure of it they're intimidated by stuff like dnd seeing a whole sheet of numbers just scares them off mm-hmm. um but then like they've played a couple of games with me and then some of them have gone away and written their own horror stories and we've played them and you know people who've never directed you know like have been a gm for a game like jumping in at a deep end and really having a go of it just like taking movies that they know and just converting the plots and making players the characters um has an intense kind of fun to it and so so it, it through actually designing shiver the game that i really wanted to play it has allowed me to escape being the forever gm because it, <laughs> because because it's, it's basically I've, I've given i've looked at my friendship group and designed a game that i know they can play and also run yes <laughs> so which is which is which is lovely so but um but yeah no it's i also have more rpg friends now as well from like kind of being more involved in the mm. community so so like i have a one-shot club that's starting where we're rotating gms and doing like basically it's a one-shot club as yeah. we're calling it where, where we're doing a different different gm different system every every month oh that's um, fun and doing that because it's it, it's one of the things it's like i i love shiver i love playing my own game i have a lot of fun with it however it is it is nice just to have a complete palette cleanser and you know play like warhammer fantasy or 
or play um, like Morkborg or Vason or just having a look at what's on my shelf currently that still hasn't been played um it's and 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 is is on is on the roster for this one shot club but yeah no it's um it it's it's yeah so 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 it's it was was a problem when i first started out but yeah definitely not the eternal gem anymore (laughs) which is which is nice it's it's actually interesting one of the words that you just use because we've um like in our in my own little group we've uh we've come up with we've come up with the term of palette cleanser rpgs which are there not to be like this full-blown massive campaign which massive campaigns are fun but you know sometimes you just kind of want to cut loose a little bit and we've been referring to a lot of like the smaller rpgs that might be good for one two three four sessions as palette cleanser rpgs a way to clean the palette and just make it so you know you're ready to play another game right afterwards um mm-hmm. But going into that, would you consider your RPG, and I don't mean this in a negative way because I feel like they're absolutely fantastic, and in fact, I prefer playing palette cleansers as opposed to full-scale games, but would you consider your game more of a palette cleanser meant for a few sessions before taking a break on it and then coming back later, or...? I say it's it's interesting because I think Shiv is definitely very capable of long format play if that's sure. the way you want to play it. But I would say um, where we've seen people using the system and like where it's really flourishing at the moment um, uh, is the way that and it's a way that we've been marketing it as well, especially the core system mm. is um, almost treating Shiver like getting your friends round for a movie night to watch a couple of, like, a horror movie. But instead, you're playing it on the tabletop, and it can just be a night. Or quite often, when I like play Shiver, um, if I'm playing it with a group and I've got a bit more time, then I almost split the three acts of the movie up into yeah. sessions. So act one, act two, act three, and then we're done, and that's it. So, and, and I kind of very tightly plan it, so I just know that it's going to have that finite sense of pace to it because I think yeah. that's very, very important. Um, but on the uh, on the flip side of that, with stuff like Gothic, where you've got mechanics that tie doom clocks together like encourage long-form narrative play and long-form consequence um of making the world more horrific by the players uh failing or generating more doom there is definitely the scope for long format play um as well and that's something we're we're growing in various different ways and and have been doing in slasher and blockbuster well as well through new mechanics that we'll be introducing yeah, actually, that was a question I was going to ask as I was looking through, but I kind of forgot about it. I noticed on the, which one is it? The Slasher one. Uh, what is that title that again? Generation. Oh, Generation Murder. Yes. Yeah. So, so so the the Slasher expansion book. So, so I'll explain both because they have an interesting kind of mirror to one another in terms of how they work. So Shiva Slasher uh, with Generation Murder is introducing something called the Inheritance System. Mm-hmm. So with Slasher, the Slasher stories that are going to be coming out of the book are inherently very deadly. Your survival rate on those stories is, you know, your first and second act, most people are probably going to get through. But when you get to the third act, as in every Slasher movie, bodies are going to start hitting the floor. Like it, it's going to get dicey. Yeah. Um, and, and we wanted to introduce an interesting way of, um, with uh, elements that have a higher element of lethality, how do you do continuous play? How do you do like, so say you want to do, you know, a, a slasher franchise, as it were, that has like five films in it, like Nightmare on Elm Street. How yeah. do you connect those together if characters keep dying? Um, 
so we came up with the inheritance system of, of so if your character dies um there is also an option to retire if they survive multiple movies and you know suddenly they're 90 um and and potentially you know you want to step that character down and have somebody step into their shoes but death is definitely more the the intended consequence um that you can pass on elements to a descendant like a mechanical descendant a character who has a emotional link to that character in some way um who has elements passed down to them so that has some positive elements so it can be a physical item so it can be the machete that you know you dealt the killing blow to Jason Voorhees with, for example, um, is passed down as a family heirloom. Um, but it can also be a positive memory or a skill that's been imbued. So um, the uh, to use the uh, Halloween uh, film, for example, the David Gordon Green one, um, a requel, as, as we've tended to now call it, where Laurie Strode has kind of gone full survivalist mode. She taught her daughter how to shoot. She taught her how to trap, how to, if Michael Myers ever turned up again, uh, how to protect herself. And that can manifest as a core memory that is then passed on to a descendant. Oh, that's um, super so, cool. So those are like the positive elements, but that there's always a double-edged sword with these kind of things, however, because ultimately using the David Gordon Green Halloween example again, Laurie imports um, a hell of a lot of trauma and fear onto her descendants of basically developing this paranoid fear of this boogeyman figure of Michael Myers um, that has a negative effect on those characters, um, which manifests as flaws and like mechanical debuffs in certain scenarios, um, very much like the fears in the game. So it's kind of exploring this... Um, intergenerational passing of the torch uh, mm-hmm. that includes like the positive elements of like resilience to survive these kind of deadly slashes but also the negative elements of kind of inherited trauma that you see uh through this cyclical nature of slashes almost haunting a family again and again and again oh that's so fun <clears throat> no that's so- yeah, that's crazy. That sounds that sounds stupid fun. Like I know I've just been saying the word fun a lot, but hearing you talk and especially as a person who loves horror movies and has imagined my not myself because I don't want to die, but imagined scenarios with horror movies, it, it just sounds it just sounds so good. Like I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. And I'm surprised how much I am just adoring everything about this. Uh, I I started off with just picking up the, um, like you know the quick guide, and I read it, and I was like, oh, this is really neat. And then, um, I wanted a little bit more, so I actually I saw that you had there was a sale right now on in um, on Drive Through RPG, so I actually picked up the core book, and I've I've only had a chance to glance at it at this moment, but like. I, I'm very excited to try and play this game with people. Oh, fantastic! Thank yeah. you. It's yeah, but um, for any of your friends who you're like wanting to get into it, because I think as horror fans, uh, uh, t- tell me if this is wrong, because this is my experience, is that um, I've converted a lot of my friends to the TTRPG side. However, horror I find can sometimes be a bit of a harder ask. Um, like some people just very much do not um like they just see horror and they just go no they hear the word horror they just go no um and that's kind of more what blockbusters about is getting people to dip Mm -hmm. their toes in and almost educate people that 
like element just because something I'm using the word horror, like you know, Jurassic Park has elements of horror in it, but people yeah. don't consider it a horror film, as the Stranger Things, as does like so many elements of media, um, because it's such a broad and nebulous term sometimes. Um, and with Blockbuster, the mirror to the slasher mechanic is we've created a a almost like kind of meta narrative mechanic where instead of playing a character in that situation, you're playing an actor who's starring in the movie of that. So we're kind of like drawing it back more to the cinematic root of things. Um, So, you know, your character can die because, you know, they're in the movie and they can die in a dramatic way. Um, But the way that we interconnect that is that we engage more with the, cinematic tropes in terms of the styles of actors that you see emerging in these kinds of movies um and the 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 actual mechanical system for it is called the road to stardom so you're basically starring in a series of movies and charting an actor's career um where in between you can get accolades um or you can get bad reviews um which uh can then you can then use in your future movies your future games playing that actor um as boons or buffs or debuffs um depending on on kind of how well you've performed uh to your type because we like explore things of being like you know what if somebody's like the comedic relief and then it kind of rewards somebody for playing kind of to that cinematic archetype um and having almost like objectives uh to kind of have to to you know make the movie a hit at the box office um which we found is a really fun way of um especially for new role players as well of almost like kind of teaching people of being like, you know, think about your big blockbuster movies that you like where, you know, characters may not have like a crazy amount of depth sometimes, yeah. especially side characters, but they're really, really fun and they achieve like a, a certain uh, like function within the story and this is who they are and this is what they do. Um, and it just means that you can have a kind of lot of fun with it. But we tie that all together by having a a, a kind of interlude narrative. So between movies, there is a spooky mystery that's going on um, on the studio lot um, that you're, so you're playing as your actors in those moments, um, like trying to figure out what's going on as you're preparing for your next role, uh, which ultimately culminates in you and all your actor friends who've starred in all these films with you um, going along to an award ceremony where some of the horrors may become a little too real as you try to fight them off, not as characters, but as uh, the actors you've been playing all along. That I, I like how you're actually like, you're making almost like a meta narrative within your meta narrative. Like you're now, mm. you're not, you're now not only playing in the movies, but you're also playing as actors within the movies that are, pl- that are dealing with it, with an actual potential threat. Like you're, you're creating a, a lot of spider webs. You're like, in, uh, what's that movie called? Inception at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I just like that, like the cyclical nature of almost kind of being through playing these characters of kind of like, what do these characters learn? Like, what do they actually, what actually, what could translate out into real life in kind of Mm -hmm. fun, amusing and helpful ways for players? Um, But then it's also like kind of that meta narrative, that extra meta narrative thing is, it's just something that's there in that Legends of the Silver Screen book, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the element that you use because we so I've talked with quite a few people already about how you can... Um, so with Road to Stardom, you could just create any movie that you want and use the um, the kind of like award system like within the Road to Stardom to help develop character and give some extra like buffs and debuffs and encourage characters to, to like play to type and have fun with it and not have that additional narrative underneath it where you play as the actors. Um, 
and and kind of work it that way and it's very similar with the inheritance system so um i was just talking to some people um so we're talking about uh pendragon the arthurian knight rpg and somebody mentioned the uh, uh song of ice and fire role-playing game as well and we're talking about what if you use the inheritance system to you know basically role play as members of a noble house who maybe have a curse on them and are haunted and have ghouls and ghosts um who are constantly trying to kill them um so then when your characters die you pass on to this this generational curse um as well as all these boons and uh, um and kind of flaws as well um and play a completely different style of horror story it doesn't have to be a slasher story it just so happens that it works so well for slasher that's where we've introduced it but we're really excited to see how people take these modular elements that plug into the core system and run with it and do interesting things with it. So here's kind of a question I have for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I've been asking you dozens of questions, so it should not be surprising, but (laughs) do you think, because like you said, you were pretty new into RPGs when you started designing this you really only played 5e do you think almost not having that experience of knowing a lot of different games may have actually ended up helping you in creating this system you know i i think possibly i've not really thought about it before like that um but yeah because i think really for me fundamentally it always came down to what is the best way that I can develop mechanics that can help me tell the stories that me and my friends want to tell. Because mm-hmm. for me, I very much have always seen tabletop RPGs as very reminiscent of like gathering around a campfire and telling stories to one another, whether that's, you know, tales of high adventure or, you know, ghost stories at camp. Like that, it very much has a, that specific flavor to it. And and you know, quite often, like you have that with like games that you do with actors when you're preparing to direct them in roles and certain elements. So there's a lot of other stuff that came from outside of games. In a lot of stuff from film and TV, I would say actually came in because for me, I just wanted to play movies and replicate a cinematic experience on the tabletop. And I think that's part of the um the slightly frustrated creative within me of um having all this training and knowledge in film and TV, but not having the the funds to make, you know, a big, the high budget blockbuster movie or, mm-hmm. you know, the horror movie of my dreams. It's, but I can bring that alive on the tabletop and I can share it with people and they can play it and they can live it and inhabit it in so many different ways and develop so many different endings by just giving them a system and a framework uh, for, for stories uh, to kind of generate their own, kind of cinema experiences uh but just through kind of rolling some dice and interacting with friends and i think that that's really where it stems from more and i think you're right of um i didn't really have any kind of like i mean like i played 5e and i've played a load more rpgs now like this this is this is the thing um but i've kind of i think it's already ingrained in my head and it's something i've already learned of just being I don't really, I love other games, but I don't really want it to color my design. I'm more drawing from outside, my experience from outside games to see what's new I can bring to the table, quite literally uh, the tabletop, what new elements I can bring. And you you can really tell that because even hearing you talk, if we didn't say the word tabletop RBG, uh, or you know, talk about the dice or anything like that. You could swear that right now we're talking about 
almost a creation of a script and creation of characters within a movie. And it really truly embodies that feeling. And I think you've mm. done a fantastic job of delivering a product that's not only unique in, in the tabletop genre, but also I think unique in a perspective that it almost feels like it's a little bit more than just a tabletop RPG. So oh, thank you. That That's a, huge compliment wow um yeah no it's it i think on on that like kind of one of the things that i was kind of thinking about recently it's like with the core rule book is with that element in terms of like talking about almost like it making a script is that a lot of the mechanics are almost like the screenwriting training i had of how i would generate characters or or how i approach writing stories i kind of found a way to communicate that and sometimes add mechanics to it and um, one of the things that I was very, very keen on, because it's um, not to throw shade at any particular RPG at all, but um, from what from kind of reading a bit more broadly now, um, there's loads of fascinating mechanics out there that do really interesting things and generate very different feelings at the tabletop. Mm-hmm. But for new people who want to get into the hobby and they want to run games, there isn't a lot of guidance, I find, on how do you actually tell a story? And I know that sounds silly, sometimes i think but but honestly like storytelling to me is a real art form it's a real skill that you have to practice that has certain rules to it um stories have structure and beats and um elements and i think some people kind of come away from playing like big fantasy adventures and they feel frustrated that it doesn't feel like lord of the rings it doesn't feel like conan the barbarian it doesn't feel like the thing they're desperately trying to replicate Mm -hmm. and that's not because um they're doing anything wrong it's because i think there needs to be more guidance and more dialogue about how we tell stories on the tabletop um because i'm I'm sure i'm sure this is definitely something that's been academically written about but like my feeling on with fantasy is that there is the the problem of what i've termed i'm sure there's a proper term for it this is me just spitballing but like the eternal adventure Mm-hmm. um because it, it's the thing of why so many people who talk about D or pathfinder or or any long running games basically any games that um are you know you know near you know session nearing sessions in the hundreds yeah um is that stories are always more satisfying if they have a finite end having something that ends and has a defined just cl- conclusion is so much satisfying than something that peters out and doesn't really um, finish in a way that's satisfying to everybody, and and which is, which is why I encourage like embracing character death, embracing you know the world ending, embracing stuff finishing because yeah. in a way it will it concludes it and provides such a more of a satisfying narrative experience when you just let things end. Um, and that's something I've really wanted to, I tried to pack into shiver by talking about like free act structure. How do you apply that to a game? How do you pace a session and talking about that just more? Cause I think it's very important and it gets closer to what people want to achieve with, with these kind of games. Yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm actually definitely in agreement with you on that. I think, um, another kind of, um, issue that we were kind of having with the industry and, I don't blame these people for it, but I think it's set up almost like an unreasonable expectation. And I I think it's like critical role 
uh you've heard of them right with matt mercer playing the 5e oh yes absolutely. and i i think i've heard about of this before like in in general as well like it's um it's something the matt that I've, I, I, the, matt, the matt mercer effect yeah it, it's it's something that we that has been discussed at tables and things i think he's he's a fantastic dm like he, he's oh, yeah. brilliant like like the people on the cast are great as well but it but it is yeah it's just reminding people of like when they get frustrated that that's um not the experience that they're having it's like they're professional storytellers they're professional actors they, they are, are they are specifically trained to be doing what they're doing um it's setting it, up an yeah. unrealistic standard for how a game normally goes not only for the players who have watched every episode of critical role and like well this is how it, how i am assuming all games should be played but also i feel it's for the gms too who i think there's a lot of potentially really good gms who are almost scared off after watching critical role and never gming me before because that's the standard that it almost places and your rpg is really interesting in that aspect because it it is specifically flying not necessarily like because again good storytelling is very important it's not but it's flying almost in the opposite direction of it where it's saying no we don't need to have 32 episodes uh in this one city before moving on to this event and this event and this event this mm -hmm. is all happening in um i'm not too sure how long the rate usual span of your game is but this is all happening in the time that you could watch a movie yeah and and that's quite often especially when i run streams um like so i just did uh two recently and i think they were maybe you know three hours tops i'd say oh. uh, of, of like you know two two and a half hours for a whole story um and we played a sla uh, uh, um a condensed version of the slasher starter set Oh, um, nice. which is a bit longer because it's designed to teach people the mechanics and elements but uh, these are people who played before so i compressed a lot and played around with the format of it and it's yeah it's that idea of um and i think it's a really good way to help nip that that uh, critical role effect in the bud for people mm -hmm. is um measure your expectations you're not trying to make you know lord of the rings or um you know a wheel of time scale adventure you're trying to run a feature length movie in a night or two nights or three nights um you know keep it keeping it keeping things finite keeping the characters finite as well uh too because i think it's there, there's also a interesting element i think of um breaking down the walls of preciousness around characters as well of that um that good drama can't exist without kind of conflict and the threat of people dying yeah um and and i think that that that's more of a a thing that kind of emerges with like dnt and fancy role playing in general um but yeah of just like kind of having free sessions because i think it's it's deeply freeing from a narrative sense because it's like you know things are going to be finite and for players it's great as well because like it's like as i said it's the benny from the mummy effect of people playing the absolute like you know kind of human antagonist in the story um that's generating a lot of drama having a lot of fun building tensions within the group in a really fun uh, kind of cinematic way but they want by the time you get to that third session they want their character to die and you can give that to them and it's satisfying um it's satisfying for that character to pass away um and also we introduced loads of other mechanics as well of like you know you can become if you get bitten by a werewolf you can become a werewolf and attack the players and you kind of almost join the director side of the table um or you can turn into a ghost 
um and interact with the story in like a very unique and different way but ultimately you know when the story ends your your business is going to be concluded and your spirit's passing on it it's yeah i think having that finite element is what creates a more freeing atmosphere to make getting on the the gm side of the screen less intimidating yeah because because it doesn't feel like you know you're not going to have developed you know develop your entire continent and fantasy world to tell a a 12 part book series in tabletop format that's not what you're here for yeah yeah you just want to recreate the movie Pumpkinhead. so you're like okay this is what the premise is i've changed up that monster but yeah i i just want like me honestly i love um and we're getting close to an hour and 15 i don't want to take up too much of your time uh but like when i think of horror movies i love specifically i think two sub genres of it and one of them is kind of almost like the monster horror movie where there's either like one big monster or a bunch of small monsters that are really just antagonizing this group of people or an entire town like i said pumpkin headed i love that one the leprechaun movies are hilariously well the first one was scary um but once he started going in space. I, I feel like they may have lost the plot. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, I, I know what format you're talking about in Todd is because I think like Aliens has got definitely got a big vibe of that as well. Yeah. Um. I, I recently watched um Critters oh, as well. So, hey, so, me you, too. <laughs> you, you've got you've got like the big critter and the little critters in the first one, and oh, and, yeah. and it's yeah it's it's yeah I I love that, and you to a certain degree you have it with Gremlins, like you've got um spike being like the central smarter gremlin um and then all the others it's it's a really nice format where you can have like almost one powerful boss enemy but varieties of weird and wonderful horror enemies kicking about as well um and and we we definitely play to that in a lot of our stories as well because it's just it's just a lot of fun to play and a lot of fun of of kind of like mixing stuff up in terms of the scenarios that you encounter i swear like um you just like at the beginning of this uh of us talking you mentioned my one of my favorite uh movies of all time as a childhood and now you just mentioned the second one and that is gremlins i freaking <laughs> love gremlins and i think if they gave it to a director and said give these make this one a little bit more scary you would have one of the best monster movies of all time Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, between you and me and everyone listening, I have a, <laughs> I I have a Gremlins esque Christmas themed shiver adventure that I have I have run a couple of times, um, yeah. o- a- over the Christmas period, that I would that I would love to publish, maybe maybe just as a PDF. I think like like online soon. That is very Gremlins inspired because I, me and my again, and I don't know if he was here, he attests this as well. Me and my brother grew up on Gremlins. It was yeah. in our, our our family was never. <laughs> I think as you can probably tell, our movie test was uh, movie test quite eclectic. And at Christmas, our Christmas movies like Gremlins, Die Hard, um, and like various other almost um, and anti Christmas movies as it were. Like not a fan of schmaltz, but we like the. Love, love the setting and the contradictions and a uh, like kind of nice, weird, funhouse mirrors you can draw up against the holiday yeah. season. And I can't believe I watched this as a kid, but like when I think of Christmas movies that we watched, it was yeah, Gremlins was one of them. Black Christmas, 
which I think I saw when I was like for the first time when I was like 12 years old and we watched it almost every time afterwards, which mm. I feel like for a 12 year old, probably not the best movie to watch, but I loved it. <laughs> um, and another one, which this one's going to come out of totally left field, but for some reason, uh, every single Christmas we watched it was Hocus Pocus. Yeah, no, I, to be honest, I think I, I had a similar thing of like where I'd watch Hocus Pocus around that time. I guess because the Halloween and Christmas aren't far from one another, and it would still be kind of like doing the rotation. But it, yeah. there is almost like that fun family energy of it. But it, it's yeah, it, it's more meant for Halloween. But I think it has broadened its appeal uh, beyond. I almost feel like it's uh, it's just because, as, as you said before, Christmas is meant to be kind of like a joyous time. And then it's almost that flip of the script of, yeah, it's a joyous time, but now people are being murdered. And it, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, I feel like that is uh, a lot more people enjoy it than you would expect. Yeah, because I'm trying to think that there's quite a few Christmas horror, horror movies that have like entered my rotation. I mean, there's um, the like uh, Krampus movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Um, I, I saw I, that I, one. I, I've I've watched. I've, that's that's made its way um, in there a couple of times. Um, another one that um, I think is a bit more divisive is Better Watch Out. Um, I've I very much enjoyed that. Um, oh, I don't think I've seen uh, that one. It it's a uh, kind of um, dark Home Alone is is what I would is how I would describe it. <laughs> um, it's a, a Home Alone, if it were very much a. A horror movie More adult. um also a like if you like your Shaun of the dead almost mixed with musicals and you like yeah. british indie films there's a british indie film called anna and the apocalypse about a zombie outbreak um in a small british village um, oh, sorry what's it called i gotta write this one uh, a- a- anna and the apocalypse so it's a zombie christmas musical <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, it it's a it's a bizarre film but I, uh, I'm, I'm supporting the british indie film industry because it is an absolutely wild movie it's it's a hell of a good time i would say so so i definitely recommend that um to add to your your, well, your christmas horror roster i'm gonna add that one to my christmas horror roster um so since we are in the you know in the best month for horror anything october what movies are currently are are you watching this month to keep yourself in the spirit oh what have i watched this month i've watched quite a few because i've watched quite a few too and i need new suggestions and yeah so i watched the new halloween film but i think i've I've already mentioned i might not want to open that can of worms Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because it's uh um it's 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 yeah it's controversial so so yeah I'll, I'll i'll skirt around that i watched the new hellraiser um which i i personally very much enjoyed i think it very much managed to capture the the energy and the ethos of the original hellraiser and clive barker's stories but put a very interesting and new spin on it um that i think worked really really well okay um, i've been actually ignore- avoiding that one because you know remakes most of the time don't get a good one but i might add i'll, I'll add that it's I, I quite like, I, I like the the first Hellraiser has got a very special place in my heart. Like I I absolutely love it. Um, but I think it it definitely it definitely didn't do a bad job. Um, I would say uh, if you want if you want a good chuckle along with your horror, um, I'd really recommend the uh, Shudder original Deadstream. 
Uh, have you seen it? Because that film had me howling with laughter. Okay, I, I'm, a... I'm just going to say, and yeah. I mean this with all sincerity, fuck right off. I literally just watched that last night. Really? Yeah. As in you liked it or just a weird coincidence of we're lining up on what we've watched? <laughs> weird coincidence. Because me and yeah. the wifey last night were like, oh, let's watch a horror movie. Because, you know, it's out. And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. And I, I saw I saw a dead stream and I was like, I watched the tra- at first. I was like, I don't know. I watched the trailer of it. I was like, OK, let's watch it. And I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. That's it. It captures the the YouTube era of character so well. Of that, I loved it with his character. Just for anyone who doesn't know the kind of concept of it, it's basically a disgraced streamer goes to a haunted house and has to try and survive a night there, and it all goes horribly wrong. But it yeah. um, it's almost like doing a par- a a, a feature length parody of a YouTube apology video where somebody just gets taken through the transgressional ringer by a ghost for being a terrible human being and it's great I, it's it's so much it's so much fun great 80s practical effect gooiness oh um, yeah and just really captures kind of everything that i uh kind of love about kind of just just like horror being like a good fun time and um, I, I am so happy i i'm i'm in the camp for horror movies that practical effects will always beat out any cgi mm. and so for me seeing all that i was just like okay yeah this is this is just right up my alley like i'm i don't want to give anything away which kind of sucks because i would love to talk about it mm. but i highly recommend people just take a look at deadstream it's it's on shutter if you have prime you can do i'm pretty sure they got like a seven day trial yeah, you, you can it. do you can do like a plug in trial and you, you'll be able to get it there. Um, yeah, try think what else I've been watching. Um, I've been this is just uh, outside of the October month, but it's still something I'm doing throughout all of October. Me and a friend, uh, we have a, a tradition called Beer and B Movies, uh, where we gather together, have some beers, and watch and watch a, about three B movies in a night. Yep. Um, and we've been steadily working through the back catalogue of um, Hammer Horror. <laughs> um, because because I I love Hammer horror movies and um, if you want something that's just a little bit more like low intensity but just really fun, well acted, especially if you get any of the ones that are the Peter Cushing, Christopher Legio, they are just such a treat. They're just so much fun. Um, I'd really really uh really recommend those if you've not explored um them at all. Uh, I have not actually experienced much of those ones the in, in terms of horror history like it's like it's a big one it was like they kind of burst onto the scene kind of doing horror in color and made big waves for like you know showing lots of blood and like and kind of nudity and, and kind of emerging doing that but the they like the original dracula like where christopher lee is playing dracula and peter cushing's van helsing yeah per- it's so good perfect it, it's absolutely brilliant um i'd really recommend that um Things it's like yeah, you might just have to give me a cutoff point because I I watch a lot of horror movies. Um, so the, uh, I'll keep going. I mean, I'll throw out a recommendation because I, I I will say if you haven't seen Nope, I highly recommend checking out Nope. That um, one was good. I I very much enjoyed that, and I think a lot of people have been very mixed on it. Um, but I I thought it was uh, that was kind of the western slash alien invasion by uh what's his name uh something peel 
Oh, John Peel. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's kind of, I, I don't want to, again, no, I don't want to spoil anything for, but like it's, you kind of go in expecting one thing, but it comes out being very much something else. Oh. Um, and, and I think it's, yeah, if you've not seen it, it's, uh, uh, very interesting, a very like thematically rich, um, I would say. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Um, a little side note on that movie. I remember, uh, just cause like I'm, I'm bilingual, right? Uh, and mm. I, I speak French and every once in a while on YouTube, I'll get French ads and I actually got the movie. Nope. Uh, but in French and I gotta say it loses a lot of its, um, a f- feeling to it when mm. they just say no i'm like no no, no. it can't be no like yeah, it has, to, has be to be no, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it just lost so much of its feeling on it but yeah um but yeah um i gotta say thank you for hopping on this was a ton of fun uh, i oh, hope you had fun pleasure. too oh absolutely no this has been an absolute hoot um i think this has definitely been one of the issues where i've been allowed to really let loose on the <laughs> fil- on, on the film side in a big way um which uh is is not always advised because i will talk for hours about oh, yeah, it. well, we're, we're an hour and a half in uh Ooh. and uh, like the audience uh, of the podcast uh, as the people who are listening know um we are horrible for staying on topic um i've actually wanted to make a joke apology video saying sorry for always being off topic but we can't help it (laughs) but um yeah no this this was a lot of fun i had ton of fun i've wanted to talk horror movies with someone for a while now and you were just the perfect person for me to uh randomly screech at (laughs) oh thank you well i wouldn't say randomly screech and in defense of going off topic i'd say like but that's to round it back to kind of game stuff in terms of like talking about design. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the thing though, is that like the more stuff you have passion for stories that are outside just the field of games, yeah, it can really enrich your experience and bringing that into design. I think is something I'm a massive advocate for. So I think it's in a way talking about horror movies is very much on topic because oh, it, yeah. it's, it, fe- it feeds in so much. And I, I think especially with it being the Halloween season, if that's what people want to play on the tabletop, there's nothing better that you can do as someone who's GMing a horror game than going and watching some horror movies. No, that's um, th- that's definitely true. Um, one of uh, our, one of the other people on the podcast, Scott, he actually, whenever he writes a new setting, or because he's also a designer, he makes sure to bi- he makes sure to binge the movie genre that he's actually writing about just keep them into the topic. And I, and I definitely agree with you that talk about horror movies while talking about a horror system that also can be an acting system for it. it, It's, it's very thematic. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll try and add spooky music into this whole thing. (laughs) Probably not, but, um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for hopping on. If you ever want to come back and uh, just talk random table talk stuff, you're more than welcome. Um, this was a very enjoyable uh, time. And yeah, thank you very much, Charlie. Um, if any, thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah, it's been oh, amazing. Yeah. It's been great. I, I remember the first thing I said to you is like, you can swear, don't worry. And you're like, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you very much. Uh, if anyone wants to find any of your stuff, 
uh, of your stuff. Um, I am going to have a link in the description of this episode, but if you want to say anything additional of where people can find you. Well, absolutely. Um, I'll cue the social media plug now. Um, <laughs> uh, on, on Facebook, uh, we are uh, uh, if you search Shiver RPG, um, you'll find us. We're on Instagram uh, at Shiver RPG. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, very active on there, at, at Games Parable. Um, at games parable so that's their name of our company parable games uh, but slightly mixed up um we also uh, if you want to try shiver and buy the book uh, we have physical products out now um so we have the core rule book the cursed library which is our expansion book and the gothic uh, the first gothic book out in digital format um you can find that over at www.parablegames.co.uk um that ships in united states territories as well so you can order from that website um, and it will be distributed to you that we've seen there's been conf- some confusion about shipping. Uh, people seem to think it's not available, but it definitely is. So please take a look. Um, you can get physical stuff. Don't worry. But also, um, yes, uh, we're part of the Halloween sale as well um, on drive through RPG. So if you want to kind of have a slightly cheaper inroad to trying the system, having a play around with it, you can find it there. And also um, off the Parable Games uh, web store, uh, there is a link to Shiver RPG's own website where you can find the free dice roller, a free quick start guide, um, as well as downloads for our open gaming license and various other things if you feel so inclined to start making some Shiver content yourselves. Um, And yeah, that's pretty much everywhere uh, you can find us. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, drop us an email at contactparablegames um, at gmail.com. And I'll make sure to have all that stuff in the link in the description. Um, if you're listening to this while driving, uh, wait till you stop driving because uh, <laughs> we don't want to be liable for that. Plus, that I think it looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, again, I'd like to thank Charlie for hopping on and letting us know about this awesome program, but a uh, product, but also for talking movies with me, something I don't get enough of. Um, and yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know. Uh, you can email me at rpsmartpeople at gmail.com. And if you hated this episode for some strange reason, you can tweet at me on Twitter at rpsmartpeople. Uh, thank you again and have a great week. See you next time.